Hey, uh, welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and we are back with another awesome episode. Uh, you may have noticed that I was somewhat uh, absent for the last couple of weeks, and that's just because of a crazy travel schedule and lecturing schedule. Uh, so I do apologize for the delay in publication, um, but I have some awesome episodes that are in the bank and uh, ready to be published over the coming weeks. Uh, I don't really have any major announcements uh, for today, so I really just want to hop into today's episode. Uh, and today we are talking all about the immune system and immune system reactions. Uh, so you'll notice that I'm not specifically mentioning food uh, and I think that once you get into this episode, you will see exactly why we don't just talk about food and we talk about immune system reactions. So my guest today is Dr. Russell Jaffe. Um, Russ, or Dr. Jaffe, uh, has an extensive background in the field of medicine and healthcare in general. Uh, his bio is extremely long and extremely impressive, and he's uh, literally been in medicine for almost 50 years now. So what I want to do, just to honor his work and his expertise and background, is I do just want to read a short bio uh, so that you get a better sense of who Dr. Jaffe is. And uh, I'm really going to focus things today on uh, his one branch of what he does, which is the sort of ELISA Act Biotechnologies. So Dr. Jaffe is lab director of ELISA ACT Biotechnologies and fellow of Health Studies Collegium. Through his expertise in non-invasive studies of cells, he developed novel tests for platelet survival, fibrinogen survival, platelet aggregation, and lymphocyte response assay. He also developed the first test for traces of blood and stool that is not made falsely negative by ascorbate. Dr. Jaffe received his BS, PhD, and MD from the Boston University School of Medicine in 1972. He completed residency training in clinical chemistry at the National Institute of Health. That was 1973 to 1979. And is board certified in clinical pathology and chemical pathology. Dr. Jaffe is the recipient of the Merck, Sharp, and Dome Excellence in Research Award, the J.D. Lane Award, and the U.S. PHS Meritorious Service Award. He was also named as International Scientist of the Year in 2003 by the International Biographical Commission for his contributions to medicine, biochemistry, and clinical immunology. Dr. Jaffe teaches and lectures widely on the causes and consequences of immune defense and repair function in health and disease. And his research interest focuses on outcome studies based on effective, comprehensive care guidelines and practice parameters. So really the focal point of today's show uh, with regards to Dr. Jaffe's work is really talking about ELISA testing and particularly the LRA test, which is a lymphocyte response assay. You know, there's a lot of confusion out there about the differences between food allergies, food sensitivities, and food intolerances and how the immune system is involved with that. And, you know, we see this on uh, mainstream media publications and blog posts and whatnot, how allergy testing or sensitivity testing is really not all that accurate. And there's a good reason for that, because different tests are looking at different things. And the ELISA LRA test is something that I've been using for a few years now. And I found that the methodology and the way that it's done and the angles that we're looking at is by far the most comprehensive um, 
allergy sensitivity intolerance test uh, because it measures in real time how your lymphocytes or white blood cells are actually responding to whatever the trigger is. One of the other things that I love about the uh, ELISA LRA test is that they have opened up their panel to not just look at food. So you can actually see how your immune system is responding uh, to microbes, to heavy metals, to toxins, and so on and so on. So hopefully today uh, really gets you crystal clear on the differences between types of testing, uh, why LRA is superior in my mind, and then also we do dive into lifestyle and dietary guidelines, which is part of what Dr. Jaffe offers uh, with everyone who undergoes the LRA test. So, um, fantastic episode. Uh, we do go into a few uh, nooks and crannies that get a little sciencey, but hopefully you get some good value uh, out of today's episode. And check out the show notes for direct links to Dr. Jaffe's work and to Elisa. Um, ACT Biotechnology. Uh, I'll leave it at that. And uh, as always, if you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing, um, leaving us a review, and of course, sharing this with friends, family, your community, and anyone else who might be interested in food allergy sensitivity and intolerance testing. Uh, So without further delay, I bring you Dr. Russell Jaffe. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jaffe, Russ. Um, It is wonderful to have you here um, and talk about all things to do with immune system, um, food allergies, food reactions, and so on. And we really have a lot to cover today. So thank you so much for taking time out and coming on the show. Well, it's a pleasure. And thank you for the introduction. Um, As you know, I came as a skeptic, but as a scientist trained in internal medicine and clinical pathology and laboratory medicine and methodology, And what I found was both my ignorance and huge opportunity to make more personalized, more predictive and proactive, the primary prevention practices that for the last three decades we've been pioneering with other colleagues. Uh, But today, I think we'll mostly talk about uh, our work. Yeah. So just a, a little bit of backstory from your side. You know, you have been in the field of medicine for a really long time. I mean, since the since 70s, right? Um, which is a lot, lot longer than I've been in it, that's for sure. But how did you sort of start out? I mean, were you a, were you a GP? Did you, were you working with patients? Um, how did you get into all of this? Right. First of all, it was an act of grace that got me into Boston University six-year med, which means you do undergraduate and medical school in six rather than eight years. Then in the middle, I did a PhD in biochemistry, which is normally four, but took me two years. And so after eight years, my parents actually got to go to one graduation, but I got an AB, an MD, and a PhD on that day. Um, I was and remain very involved with the traditional uh, Jewish community, originally in Brookline, Massachusetts, but now in Virginia. And that's the spiritual side to me. But I'm also very involved with the Buddhist community because of Bhante Dharmawara, who was my principal mindfulness um, practice uh, mentor, uh, but uh, m- m- with with appreciation also to Dr. Ramamurti Mishra for introducing me to the many kinds of yoga and how to apply them, and <clears throat> Kuing Wu, with whom I had a traditional TCM acupuncture apprenticeship uh, when I first got to Washington, which was in 1973, 
Uh, so technically, I've been in medicine for now half a century. Wow. Wow. And you know, what I love about that is um, the, the fact that you are actually, a, a, you know, you're a medical doctor, um, you know, trained conventionally, so to speak. Yes. And um, now, you know, we'll get into your work and what uh, ELISA is and all of that, but really sort of merging um, both right. Western medicine and traditional medicines. So the way I like to sort of frame that is using the best of science, but also yes. incorporating ancient wisdom um, in a sense, to really deliver um, something that's quite well-rounded, which is uh, which I think is much needed, and it's I, I think it's where we're going as well. But you have sort of three main areas um, that you focus on under the sort of umbrella of ELISA. Um, you're a big proponent of the alkaline way. Um, you also have PERC, which is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, this is your sort of supplement line. Um, and then you have, of course, ELISA, which does um, the immune testing let's just put it that way right and we'll, right. we'll get into that in a minute so am i correct in saying that first of all all correct all You're, correct yeah. very well said okay awesome so um today what i want to focus on is really immune system reactions if you will right. and um, i know that uh, elisa will talk about what that is in a minute but you go beyond food as well you know you're doing right. metals you're doing microbes and so on but right. what i'd like to do for our listeners if we can sort of back up a little bit and start from the beginning Mm -hmm. What what is the difference between a food allergy, a food sensitivity, and a food intolerance? Because you know people say allergies, and the next thing you know, they're going for a skin prick test, and right. they say, "Oh, you you don't have any problem, but you run right. an IgG test, and now you've got a problem." So perhaps we can sort of start from the ground up and, and define. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So in 1964, Gel and Coons articulated four pathways having to do with the human immune defense and repair system. Type one are the allergy type of reactions. These are IgE mediated. These are histaminic reactions. They cause hive, wheezes, anaphylaxis, and shock. <clears throat> if your IgG4 balances your IgE, you're not symptomatic. It's only the people that have lost the balance where their IgE goes up and their IgG4 doesn't balance it out. Then, there are the three delayed pathways, type 2, which are antibodies, technically IgM, IgA, and IgG. And here is a lot of confusion because unless you know whether that antibody was helpful or harmful, if it's neutralizing, it's helpful and protective. If it's complement fixing, then it's trouble. Hmm. And the tests that have been generally done, which are conventional ELISAs, in contrast to the LRA ELISA Act, conventional ELISAs tell you nothing about function. And so that's a severe limitation and has led many scientists to say, you get back a lot of reactions, but you don't know the meaning of the reactions. And we agree with that. So that's why we developed a functional ex vivo cell culture. Mm. Now, then there's type three, which is immune complexes, Technically, for those who are very technical, it's IgM, anti-IgG antigen. This is things like temporal arteritis, where the body is protecting itself from something that is more harmful and that should be removed by the liver and the spleen, but for some reason isn't being. And then there's type 4, the most important. These are the T-cell reactions. There's Th1 and Th2, and then it turns out there's a lot of Ts, and they don't need antibody. They are not antibody-mediated. They are direct cell-mediated, delayed, 
delayed hypersensitivity. Excuse me, the little earphone fell out. (laughs) Um, So there are four types. Conventional allergists only measure type 1 and are usually skeptical or worse about delayed allergies. Mm -hmm. Then there are environmental medicine physicians who really don't care much about uh, the IgE reactions because many people find if you do a correct delayed hypersensitivity test, like the LRA test we offer, and you do your best to substitute for six months while you're improving digestion, metabolism, detoxification, uh, attitude, uh, restorative sleep, etc., Mm-hmm. that the outcomes, and we've done outcome studies, community-based real outcome studies in type 1 and type 2 diabetes, in fibromyalgia muscle pain, in adrenal dysfunction, and other autoimmune self-attacking situations. We have thousands of anecdotal reports of success. And what's most interesting from the uh, methodology point of view is that when you restore tolerance in the delayed immune pathways by substituting with what you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden. When you restore tolerance, very often your seasonal type 1 allergies go away as well. Okay. So I just want to sort of encapsulate that for our listeners. So we've got type 1, which is an IgE immediate type of reaction, right? So this is histamine-controlled Uh, You're going to experience hives, skin rashes, and this is usually within 30 minutes of eating. Or less. Or less. less. You take a bite bite of the strawberries and your lips swell. You get bitten, you get stung by the bee, and you get a big welt. Now, now the severe form, anaphylaxis, is something that people should carry epinephrine or EpiPens Mm -hmm. because that will save your life in an anaphylactic reaction. Um, but you're absolutely right. That encapsulates the type one. So, so, so question for you, um, this type of, and, and I'll, I'm just going to say food because it's kind of what we're talking sure. about, but obviously this could be anything else. But um, from a food reaction standpoint, I believe that this only accounts for roughly 10% of food reactions. Is, is that a fair statement? Maybe 15%? Whereas well, most, most well, reactions it, it, are delayed. I mean, uh, perhaps Yes. Yes, if you, you're asking my opinion, and I'm going to give you my professional scientific opinion, the supermajority of what people suffer from are uh, intolerances that are not just digestive, but are immune-driven and in the type 2, 3, 4 categories, that you need to measure all of them, and you need to distinguish the good from the bad, especially in the type 2. Right. So let's talk about that. So the other sort of type two, three, and four, um, I don't want to get too technical. Um, just No, no. Let's just talk about acute and delayed. Acute yeah. and delayed. Stuff right. that happens right away or stuff that happens within three hours to three weeks, which makes even a perfect food diary not really very helpful. There are Arthas reactions, Schwarzman reactions, serum sickness reactions, where you get exposed to the antigen and then hours to days or weeks later, you have a reaction, symptomatic reaction. So your get up and go, your get up and go gets up and gone, and you can't find it. Right. So, so from the delayed side of things, you know, we produce antibodies to obviously protect us against an antigen. But right. something you said earlier, which I would love to sort of get your thoughts on, is you know, because when you read a newspaper nowadays, you know, you'll read these uh, mainstream newspapers and they'll say, oh, well, we did studies on allergy testing and it's all, it's, it's all a bunch of BS. 
Um, there's no consistency whatsoever, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, something you said earlier, which, which I've always thought about is you produce an antibody as a protective mechanism, but when you test, how do you know if that antibody is reactive and causing problems or if it was simply there, you know, and right. perhaps you can shed light on that, you yes. know, with regards to memory and that sort of stuff as right. well. Yeah. So let me respond to the second question, then go back to the first. Okay. So with regard, with regard to um, antibodies, when you have childhood infections, you leave behind a protective, beneficial, neutralizing IgG antibody. That's a good thing. And these can be measured in the blood even as an adult, right? They still are you, there. You, you, you measure the, it is easy in the serum to measure the presence or absence of an antibody. But the serum tells you nothing about the meaning, nothing about the function, and it actually ends up being very confusing and has been uh, widely criticized in contrast, now I'm going to go back to the first question. Mm -hmm. We reported at Experimental Biology, which is the high priest uh, academics of uh, clinical laboratory medicine, 4,200 consecutive blind split samples done over several years with less than 3% variance and no dropouts. So we didn't cherry pick the data. We do a positive and negative control with every specimen because that improves the precision. We have unprecedented reproducibility in an area where there is notorious confusion and lack of reproducibility. Hmm. So, so in, in lay terms, what that means is, I've experienced this as a, as a clinician, as a practitioner, uh, you know, you'll go and run different types of food allergy tests for people and then you get the results back and all of a sudden they're reacting to 200 out of 300. Yes, yes. You're, you're, you're getting a laundry list. You're getting a laundry list of reactions. And now if you send in split samples, you have to question the 15 plus percent variability, which is about as good as you can do on a conventional five-step ELISA. But more importantly, it tells you nothing about whether this is a neutralizing good protective antibody or a harmful complement fixing problematic antibody. There you need a cell culture. Right. And so the cells react, the cells, the lymphocytes react, the antigen presenting cell in the cell culture we do, and we even have some film of this, the antigen presenting cell takes up the antigen that's coated on the bottom of this little dish or microtiter plate. It wiggles over to the lymphocyte, presents it at what's called the MHC locus, like a key into a lock. And about a half an hour later, the cell uh, reacts, a kinase enzyme phosphorylates both the surface and sends messages to the nucleus that say, divide. We've, we've gotten the message that we need more reaction to this T cell or B cell mediated, in this case, T cell mediated reaction. Mm. So what you're saying is, and we'll sort of come back to this in a second, um, because I want to backtrack a little bit. Are, are, do you feel that people, and I'm just talking general food sensitivity testing, do you feel like people are getting a lot of false positives and they're cutting out foods that are perhaps unnecessary, like they don't need to cut them out? Um, I, yes, I, I often um, find that people end up um, trying to help themselves find foods that they can digest uh, mm -hmm. and then ending up on a nutritionally compromised, uh, very limited diet. And I do not recommend that. I do not find it needed. When we do our studies, 
And we can now measure hundreds and hundreds of cell cultures with very good precision and reproducibility to find out which foods or chemicals you need to substitute. We recommend for six months while you rebuild your microbiome, your digestion, Mm-hmm. And your metabolism, your metabolome, which includes detoxification, it includes the immune part, the half of your immune system that lines your digestive tract. So there's a lot we've learned in the last few years that confirms the ideas that we have been advancing for the last three decades. Mm-hmm. So um, let's let's come back to exactly what you do, because sure. um, a lot of people, I think, listening are familiar with ELISA testing, right? Right. So what, right. before we get to exactly what you do, what is ELISA right. testing for right. our listeners? Well, right. So what our contribution is called ELISA Act. It's, it is a different generation of ELISA, but ELISA itself means enzyme-linked immune-sorbed assays. It goes back to Burson and Yallo in the 1950s. They received the Nobel Prize. David Rodbard, a friend and colleague of mine, did the mathematics that allows it to work. And he, he, he would like to be remembered with, as the third person to, to get that award. But yes, there are thousands of enzyme amplified procedures. They're almost all five steps, and they almost all have 15 to 20% variance. That's the best they can do, because each step in a lab procedure like that adds about 3% variance. There's a whole theoretical reason why that is. Trust that's me okay. for the moment that that's true. Right. Yeah. We don't need to get into the weeds. We need to get so, into the so, understanding of what to do. Right. So just for our listeners in lay terms, I'm going to do a blood. I'm going to draw some blood. I'm going to put that into a test tube for an ELISA test. And what exactly um, are we measuring? Yes. What the- you're measuring there, what you're measuring there is the presence of an antibody, something that has reacted to something foreign to you called an antigen. It could be an antigen created by a toxin that comes in and changes the shape of your own proteins to make them foreign to you. But by definition, an antibody is a reaction against a body called an antigen, okay? Mm -hmm. And they come functionally in two very different categories, those that are helpful and neutralizing versus those that are harmful and complement fixing. And the standard serum test cannot distinguish function. It wasn't designed to measure function. It was designed to amplify the presence of things present in small amounts, and the best of them have high precision, which means they're reproducible. So that's what a conventional ELISA is. Okay, so in, in simple terms, we're measuring the amount of antibodies in the blood to whatever antigen, right? So a wide To whatever range. antigen, right. Okay. And or cross-reactive antigen, because that's part of the complication of interpretation. Right. So, okay. So, so now let's move on to what you do, which is ELISA Act or LRA. 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 Yes. LRA is the operative term. LRA being lymphocyte response assay. Lymphocytes are special white blood cells. Some of them are the B class that are responsible for antibodies. They're also responsible for the immune complexes and some of them are T cells. Now, a cell culture, especially the way we do it, which means ex vivo, so we're not only culturing live cells that we've harvested from the individual's blood, but we are doing it and watching a reaction that happens exactly as it does in the body. That's what ex vivo means in Latin. Mm -hmm. And the reason that is, is because we have a special preservative, a special transfer, a special 
uh, approach that gives us blood that has not been activated or damaged in any way before we get it. And then we gently spin it, gently spin it, and then we take what's called the supernatant, that is what's on top with the red cells on the bottom, and what's on top is all of the platelets and white cells and components except the red cells. Then we put little bits, about 40 microliters is the technical term, but we put a, a, a big drop in each of these wells of a microtiter plate that we had to develop because nobody could do the combination that we do. That is enzyme amplified while being also a cell culture. And ours is a one-step procedure. That's how we get less than 3% variant. It's a one-step procedure where we're using an enzyme embedded in the surface of the cell that is essentially inactive in the resting state and turns on to cause the cell to multiply when a foreign antigen is presented as the lock and key analogy to the quote what's called MHC, major histocompatibility locus. Right. So basically what you're saying, again, for in lay terms here for our listeners, is we are talking about the difference between simply measuring something that is simply there versus actually measuring how your white blood cells respond right. to the foreign invader, if you want to look at it like that. Exactly correct. One is physical chemistry from the 1950s, and one is cell culture from, well, we started in 1983. <laughs> and we've done, we've done tens of thousands of cases. We've done tens of millions of cell cultures. We know a lot about the procedure. There are some very simple rules so that we can get blood that hasn't been activated or damaged. And then we make sure that we compare you with yourself in each specimen. We do a positive and negative control. We make sure there are not pre-activated cells that would confuse the results. We make sure your cells can react because if for some reason they can't or won't react, then we need another specimen, you know, again, probably following the rules. The, <laughs> rules. the rules are fairly simple, but they exist for a reason. And by the way, <clears throat> I had been working with these ex vivo specimens for over a decade when I opened the lab because um, what I was best known for at NIH was developing very sensitive measurements of changes in platelet function, where again, we needed an ex vivo specimen. Um, and so uh, what I learned uh, in, in the world of, of platelet reactions and how platelets activate a, pl a protein called collagen, a protein that's gotten in vogue right now, uh, that mechanism was something I worked out both in Boston and when I got to the NIH, and apply that when I wanted to, to open up the black box of the immune defense and repair system, which is what the lab that provides the LRA, the LRA by ELISA Act tests, ELISA Act biotechnologies, we're the innovator in ex vivo cell culture. Mm. And now having been around long enough and having done community-based outcome studies and having so many anecdotal case successes, et cetera, <clears throat> we're ready for prime time. Any of the chronic repair deficient conditions, any of the autoimmune self-attacking conditions, we believe this is first-line comprehensive care that it is the safer, more evidence-based, and scientific approach. Uh, although it is unfamiliar to most of my colleagues, and I mm -hmm. understand why, there's a long diffusion time between uh, a, a real scientific advance and its general understanding uh, in the community. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I, I love the way you frame that because, uh, I, you know, when I first heard about your work, when I, I think it was 
taking lectures um, while studying functional medicine, which I continue to study. And oh, I first heard of your work and I was like, wow, that is a very different way of looking at it because, you know, just to sort of really pull some things together for our listeners, what my understanding is that we're, what you're doing is you're actually testing things that are happening right now. Um, right. So the way that the body is reacting right now, which means that you're not going to come up with a whole bunch of things that you're reacting to that are essentially false. Um, so, and I've, and I've run these tests with my clients and what I've noticed in sort of AB comparisons is mm. fewer things actually come up on your test. But more meaningful and, and, and yes, thank you. Exactly right. So out of, if we do 250 or 350 tests, you won't get that laundry list of reacting to the 20th, 21st century. You might get a dozen, you might get half a dozen, you might get a dozen and a half reactions depending on the individual and situation, which is usually quite manageable because we want it to be a window of opportunity to evoke healing responses, not a lifetime of deprivation that ends up being nutritionally compromised. Right, which is what happens with a lot of people. They sort of, it does. You know, they run a test five years ago and they're still on that same restrictive diet and they're like, well, I don't feel any different. Um, right. but, but the test said I should avoid these foods and they kind of go down that blind path, um, which can, it's very stressful for people as well because you know, diet it is so restrictive. They are stressed out trying to you know, cook for the family as well as themselves. And especially, you know, I've actually had families that have done the tests on each of the individual members. And now mm -hmm. all of a sudden, there's dozens and dozens of foods that are coming back different for each family member. Right. And they're kind of left with nuts and honey, you know, for the dinner. Right. <laughs> no, no, understood and appreciated. <clears throat> if you follow our Alkaline Way approach, the joy of living the Alkaline Way is something you can download digitally as an ebook and guide. Then you start with nature, nurture, and wholeness. You move on to the food you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden. You include your individuality, which means the supplements that your body needs in light of your stress environment, uh, prior exposures, etc., in order to feel and function as well as possible today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to go beyond that, along with the LRA tests, there are predictive biomarkers that cover all of lifestyle and epigenetics. And we have pioneered interpreting those tests functionally to the best outcome goal value for each of those tests, mm -hmm. not the statistical range. So the range that the lab provides is statistical, and I don't want to make a statistic out of any individual. If you want to know the personal <clears throat> goal, it's to have, say, a hemoglobin A1C of less than 5%. And I'm glad to tell you that my most recent test was 4.5%. Because awesome. I, don't add, I don't add sugar in my diet. I'm sweet enough as I am. <laughs> I do have a lot of fruits with pectin that have, of course, fruit sugar in them. I do have lots of berries and things like that. And actually, if you give me a whole fruit sorbet, I won't turn it down. But I really don't add sugar to my diet because I've lost 65 pounds that I don't want to find again. I've reversed metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and I'm glad to tell you it can be reversed. But it is more easily reversed when your immune system is not burdened and when your digestion is, is, is competent, when your transit time is a healthy 12 to 18 hours, when you stay well hydrated, which to me means four plus liters a day of herbal and, and water beverages. Water is your beverage of choice. Walking is your exercise of choice. 
sitting is the new smoking. So get up out of your chair and walk <laughs> around. Uh-huh. So that, that's, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know that about you, that you, did you actually have metabolic syndrome yourself? I did. I did. Oh, wow. I've forgotten yeah, I where I learned this from, but there's a guy who, he's a minister out of Denver. I think his name is Rick Warren. He says, while he was serving his community, he gained a pound or two or three a year for 25 years. And then he looked in the mirror. And that's more or less what happened with me. It, it also helped that my son pointed out that I was becoming fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, I, I really, uh, I'm now pretty close to the, to, to, to the weight that uh, is appropriate for me. And yes, I definitely had metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, insulin resistance, and have reversed it uh, using the approach that I've just outlined. Wow, that's amazing. And did you, um, so not, not to pry into your personal story, but I find that it's, um, it's always, it, it, it's it's always good. It's good listening, and it's also good to understand. You know that um, we're not all perfect. We all things catch right. up on us. You know, chronic degenerative disease is exactly that. It's chronic, and it slowly develops over time. And oftentimes, um, we just don't see it coming, right? But well, see, see, to me, it has two categories. We don't replenish the good stuff enough, so we end up with lack of good stuff. Mm -hmm. And because of the stress and environment and relationships today too much toxic stuff. And the toxic stuff could be about what you eat and drink, but it could be about what you think and do. Right. Because it's the integral of those four that from my point of view um, encapsulates the functional world and the opportunity that we have to live well and long. And I'm glad to tell you we had my dad till 90, quote, against all odds. We had Bhante Dharmawara till 110, again, against all odds. Wow. And so I'm doing my best to pay forward what I learned from them and from the experiences I had with my own family. Mm -hmm. And do you feel, um, you know, just to sort of take a step back and look at things generally, have you noticed in your decades of working in this area that people have become more reactive, that there's, you know... Um, that, that certainly is the sense. And uh, several of my colleagues have tried to track this within the Institute of Medicine for the Department of Defense and, and, and others who really do track things very carefully. Mm -hmm. The trends appear to be that more people are more intolerant and that the burden and cost to society, just for diabetes alone, it's an extra $200 billion a year. And while diabetes kills and diabetes costs, diabetes is a choice. If you right. keep your blood sugar between 80 and 100 or, or something like that, you don't have the complications. You might still be diabetic and you can't go out and have, you know, indulge in a lot of sugar. But just as one little footnote, today the average American eats in a week what our grandparents ate in a year with regard to sugar. Mm -hmm. Now, that is something our bodies are just not equipped to deal with. And the worst of it seems to be the high fructose corn syrup, plus or minus uh, contamination with mercury. Uh, look at the fat switch by Richard Johnson, a very easy read about why high fructose corn syrup correlates so tightly with many of the chronic and the degenerative and the diseases of modern living. Yeah. So, so what, what do you feel... Um what, what, what do you feel has sort of uh, fueled the uptick in people having, you know, intolerances or? Uh, well, if, if, you want, if, you want, if you want the tightest correlation, it's with what's called the allostatic and homeostatic load. 
And that translates in the English language to five categories of oxidative toxins. Oxidative means that they consume the beneficial antioxidants that are essential, that your body must take in, you cannot make them yourself, mm -hmm. and without them you get into chronic illness. These oxidative uh, uh, categories include persisting organic pollutants known as POPs. They are usually endocrine disruptors, and that's a big, a big and emerging problem. Then you get volatile organic chemicals known as solvent residues. Then you get toxic metal, metals like mercury and cadmium and nickel and arsenic and lead. Uh, and then you get mold products and now radioisotopes. Mm. So those are the five categories that are um, correlated very tightly with the increase in the chronic and autoimmune diseases. Interesting. Yeah. Um, there are only a few categories. Uh, some cancers are coming down. Some cancers are going up. Mm -hmm. The immune defense and repair system is supposed to be on surveillance, not only doing whatever defense from anything foreign that came in that day, but repairing you from wear and tear overnight. And part of that repair is to identify uh, and eliminate any abnormal cancer cells that form. And every adult forms cancer cells every day. So how come everyone doesn't have cancer? Because you have natural killer cells and cytotoxic T cells that surveil and go around and touch every cell and mark them for apoptosis, which means a complicated word, but it means program cell elimination, program cell death. Mm -hmm. And that's why most people don't get cancer. Right. I think you should measure your natural killer cell and cytotoxic T cell activity because they go down to unacceptably low levels years to decades before a cancer emerges. Hmm. So basically what I'm hearing, and again, just for our listeners, is we're, we're essentially talking about total body burden, which yes. if you listed, there could be molds, there could be metals and so on. But of course, modern living, total body burden. Um, perhaps even maybe a bit of a sidebar, but electromagnetic radiation and frequencies are also going to impact that. And so what we're really saying is we're saying that my body now is trying to combat all of these things and it doesn't have enough resources or time left to repair my body and two to sort of ward off cancer um, or uh, you know cancerous growths and so on um, no but i say that i would say that in a different way okay i would say if you keep if you keep your natural repair and anti-cancer mechanisms robust yeah. and even if they're down you can bring them back Totally, by eating yeah. foods, e eating the foods that you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden, and staying well hydrated with water that isn't contaminated, and having relationships and social interactions that are meaningful, having meaningful work, love what you do, do what you love. Um, th these are not just um, chestnuts and aphorisms. Uh, they are integral to the joy of living the alkaline way. You can live in the 21st century and thrive, or you can have a mindset from the 20th century, and I think you will suffer mightily in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that is a really great encapsulation. Um, and because I have worked with your company in your lab, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what I've sort of gathered, and perhaps you, if you want to elaborate on this, that's fine, is doing the LRA test, figuring out what your immune system is reacting to. If you wanted to do those predictive biomarkers, which I know we haven't really touched on today, and I don't want to go there, but um, simply put, those predictive biomarkers are uh, markers of things that may happen in the future. Um, whether it's chronic inflammation, um, 
imbalanced blood sugar and so on. And then what you're recommending for people, um, what you're recommending for people is really to eliminate those for three to six months and then follow more of an alkaline diet together with some targeted nutritional intervention. And you found that that's a, I mean, you have a lot of evidence, obviously, and you have a lot of case studies. That is what you're recommending and has proven to be successful? That's exactly right. That encapsulates the last three decades. Um, we are eager to speed the transition from the current sick care to healthful caring, which means really personalized medicine. Knowing what your body is tolerant to and taking joy in consuming a wide variety of healthy foods in a wide variety of ways. Knowing that you're well hydrated. And by the way, if you have any adult beverages or any caffeinated beverages or any artificially sweetened beverages, none of which I'm advocating, but if you have them, an mm -hmm. extra glass of water with each one. Mm -hmm. and, in, and in mature societies, in, in Italy, for example, if you order an espresso, they always give you a little glass of water that goes with it because they want you to come back and they don't want your kidneys to you know, be dehydrated. Right. Um, you're very correct to point out that the environmental burden, both direct, that's external toxic load, and internal, so mm -hmm. that's the allostatic plus the homeostatic burden, is greater. We've disrupted relationships. Most of us don't get touched enough. Most of us don't have enough meaningful moments. Why? Because we're very busy keeping up with our responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Or we're so burdened by our responsibilities that we're looking for pill-based solutions to mood issues, sleep issues, digestive issues, metabolic detoxification issues. And that's a merry-go-round that often revolves around polypharmacy. Right. I have not found that to be uh, uh, as helpful. I do think first-line comprehensive care starts with the LRA tests. If your folks or your listeners find this interesting, we may want to come back another time and talk about epigenetics and uh, how the LRA test is part of the predictive biomarkers and what does it mean to have them at goal values and best outcomes and how that in the short and long run gives you the best quality of life. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm very glad for the fact that you want people to understand that they do have choices of truly functional tests like the LRA or what I will call non-functional tests like the IgG-based tests, of which there are many different kinds. You can, some labs say, well, we use cooked foods, but we still do this old-fashioned IgG test, and we can't tell the difference between good and bad, but we can tell the difference between a cooked egg and a raw egg. All right. Well, yeah. A difference, a difference without a meaning, to be very simple about it. Right. So I'm very glad that we can have this kind of conversation because immune defense and repair is rather central to quality of life, to youthful longevity, um, and I'm planning to be dancing at 120 and would like everyone to join me. So let's get on with this joy of living the alkaline way. Nice. Well, you're in great shape. Um, you, you. Uh, you, you're right there. You've been doing this for so long. And um, I think on that note, let's uh, wrap up, up today. Yes, indeed. But I have gained, I've earned every one of these gray hairs, I will tell you. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time out, Russ, and um, sharing your vast knowledge with us. Um, you know, we'll definitely get you back on the show at some point. Uh, but any final words from your side? Um, obviously, we'll be sharing your website. Um, any projects that you're doing right now or any resources you want to steer people towards? Gosh, um, if you're a professional, please look up 
E-L-I-S-A-A-C-T.com. If you're a layperson who wants to understand how to be your own physician some of the time and the limitations of that, look up betterlabtestsnow.com. Hopefully these will be on a screen or something uh, like yep. that. Uh, you can look up drrusselljaffe.com if you want to see more about me. You can look up healthstudiescollegium.org if you want to know more about the foundation that has done more outcome-based studies to prove that functional medicine saves lives and saves treasure. And just as a tickler at the end, we can save a million lives a year and add $8 trillion to the balance sheet of America each year just by avoiding the half a million excess deaths with suffering due to diabetes, the quarter of a million due to nutritional deprivation, and the quarter of a million due to the fact that healthcare in America is a privilege and not a right. In most of the world, healthcare is a right. If we have the right to pursue happiness, I'm in the camp that says healthcare needs to be a right, not something decided by how much you can spend uh, you know, in, in any given moment. Mm -hmm. So let's add a million lives. Let's save a million lives a year to be productive and have you know, more meaningful moments and relationships uh, while adding uh, assets to the country. Right now, we have a deficit that's too big and we're not adding assets quickly enough. So how about let's take the opportunity to add a million productive lives and $8 trillion to the balance sheet of the country through just what we've been talking about today. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm in. Sign me up. And uh, our listeners out there, um, hopefully you got some valuable information today um, with Dr. Jaffe. So once again, thanks for coming on. Um, for those folks out there listening today, uh, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing, subscribing, leaving us a review, and uh, check out the show notes for all of Dr. Jaffe's links that he mentioned. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch up with you next episode. Bye.